You might not be world class at something. You might not win a medal. You might not make money off it. But in the gym, if you show up, if you ask some questions, if you don't quit, if you work hard, you will improve. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, we're in the middle of an eight-week series focused on building resilience. We'll be talking about why resilience is important, how to become more resilient, and talking to some of the most impressive and resilient people on earth. If you want to live a more interesting life by challenging yourself to do the impossible, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Impossible Radio. If you've been wondering why I've been gone the last couple weeks, I've been taking care of some personal things. But the number one thing about resilience is that you never stop going, even if you have to stop, if you have to take a break, if you have to take longer than you'd like to something to take. You always keep going at it. And today I'm really excited about today's guest. It's Bobby Maximus from Jim Jones. I'm going to jump into his story and Jim Jones background. But they're one of the few gyms uh, around the country, around the world that I really look up to. I really admire. I found them a couple years ago and I just really admire not only their work ethic, the way they've positioned themselves within the fitness community, but also just their mentality towards building not only physical strength, but mental strength. So Bobby is the embodiment of that. He's the general manager there at Jim Jones. And I really had a good time on this interview. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it quite a bit too. So let's jump right in and do this thing. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impossible Radio. Today I've got with me Rob McDonald, aka Bobby Maximus, the general manager of Jim Jones, an invite-only elite strength and conditioning facility in Salt Lake City, Utah. You might know it as the gym that trained Henry Cavill before he did Superman, Man of Steel, or the gym that trained the Spartan actors in the movie 300, but there's a lot more to Jim Jones than just a celebrity training facility. I've known about Jim Jones for a while now, but over the last 18 months, I've really grown to appreciate the gym's focus, not on only building massive physical strength, but also mental strength. Bobby's the general manager of Jim Jones, and he's, his title is the Jim Jones Executor. He focuses on executing things and, and, and building elite athletes. And I'm really excited to have him here today. Bobby, thanks for uh, being here. Thank you very much for having me. So before we get in today, this entire series is about building mental strength, mental resilience. You knew a little bit about that, but you also know a lot about fitness in general. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your fitness history, a little bit about your your background and how you got into fitness in the first place. Yeah. In terms of getting into fitness, I didn't really get into fitness until I was 15 or 16 years old. I was a bit of a late bloomer with that stuff. Growing up, I wasn't exactly what you'd call a talented athlete. I think if anything, I was clumsy and uncoordinated. (laughs) And I started getting into wrestling. And I was terrible when I first started. You know, I don't think the first year I wrestled, I won a single match. And at some point, I decided that fitness was something that could help me. The weight room could be a vehicle to become better at this thing that I'd fallen in love with. And I started training. And just like everybody else, I started off on a pretty standard program, chest Monday, back Tuesday, legs Wednesday, you know, typical bodybuilding type of format. And I started to get stronger and started to get more fit. And from that point, I became very interested in researching various ways to get fit. I I worked with various coaches, self-taught a lot of stuff. That eventually grew into a career for me. I fought in the UFC, fought in some other MMA organizations, and the whole time fitness was always important to me. Mm -hmm. I was one of the people that worked as a personal trainer at a big box global slash gym. (laughs) 
And eventually I uh, met Lisa Twite up in Toronto. She is one of the founders of Jim Jones. And she was working on a movie there called Repo Men. She was training Jude Law for the movie and Alicia Braga. Mm -hmm. And we met through a mutual friend and we really hit it off. And I've got a fairly good education level and and some good training knowledge. And I'd like to think I'm a good person. And (laughs) she saw something in me and hired me to come down and be the GM and training director of Jim Jones and work alongside her and Mark to help the business grow but retain quality because that's one of the biggest things we're interested in. And now I find myself here. So how how did you just end up in Toronto? Were you living there at the time? Were you just up there on occasion or what? Well- where where were you before you ended up at Jim Jones? I was in Toronto and I was actually working as a police officer and fighting in the UFC at the okay. time. And so, I mean, that was my home and I'm a Canadian boy. I'm from northern Ontario, a lot farther north, north than Toronto. <laughs> uh, but Toronto was where I settled for employment reasons and also um, – you know, the, the the school that I fought out of or the training facility that I fought out of was there as well. And so Toronto was just a good fit for me. And that's why I lived there. Okay. And so so with respect to Jim Jones, you're sort of the first non-twite to, to, to be involved beyond Mark and Lisa. Can you give me a, a quick rundown and give our listeners a, a quick rundown of what Jim Jones is, kind of the philosophy that got started and maybe a little bit about Mark and Lisa? Yeah, so Mark and Lisa founded the gym, and the gym was founded on, I would say, an overarching principle of quality. In the fitness industry, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of people that make promises that you can get fit on three easy payments of nine ninety nine, <laughs> taking some kind of magic pill. Mm-hmm. That there's always a shortcut. That you know you should you can train twenty minutes a day, kind of stuff. And Jim Jones has always against that. Jim Jones is built on principles like there's no such thing as a free lunch. There is no magic pill. You can't just pay money and get fit. It's something you really need to earn and work for. And so when Mark and Lisa founded Jim Jones, it wasn't founded with the idea of turning it into a business. It was a project. It was an underground type of, of entity that you know, decisions weren't ever based on money. Decisions weren't ever based on what we could sell. The product and and the soul of the place and our philosophy is has always been more important than anything. And I think because of that and how we always remained organic and true to our roots at a, at a certain point, the business just started to grow and it turned into a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mark and Lisa needed some help running it essentially. And that's, and that's where I came in. And I always give, you know, Lisa credit for having the foresight to hire me. She saw something in me that I'll, you know, forever be grateful for and, and brought me down here. And, you know, I'm really grateful to Mark as well. He always, you know, we taught seminars together and I worked with Mark for a number of years, you know, teaching seminars together. And it's been a learning process for me as well. And we've learned together. And now this, this gym project that we've made because of the three of us is, is kind of in this next phase. And, and we've got instructors now, which is incredible. We got 26 wonderful people who, you know, it's amazing to me that we have 26 fully certified instructors around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we didn't have one and it's it's growing right now. And all three of us contribute to how this place runs. So this is a little bit not not focused on resilience, but how do you grow a gym and scale it in the way you guys have while retaining? 
maintaining the focus on quality because you could do something like what CrossFit has done, which would be, a, I think, a pretty most people would understand how CrossFit has grown and, and it's grown rapidly. But quality is all over the board. Not anything bad about CrossFit, but, you know, the instructors are kind of all all over the place. You, you can find some that are amazing, some that are, are you know, have, have, have things to be desired. And so as, as, as you're growing this, you know, you're going from, you know, zero instructors to 26. How are you maintaining that quality and, and what sort of principles, you know, besides the one you pre, ones you previously mentioned, what are the principles are you kind of instilling them, them throughout the seminars that you guys have at the gym? You know, the biggest thing that that we've paid attention to is a slow growth model when it comes to business. And, you know, when you look at various businesses that have exploded and tried to expand too fast, they can't keep up with quality control, whether it be a restaurant or a gym or a computer store. It doesn't matter. When things get bigger, quality goes downhill. We've always taken a slow growth look at how we want to build the Jim Jones empire, so to speak. And that starts with our seminar programs. We don't certify people in one weekend. We don't certify people in one week. People need to come to a fundamental seminar, which is two days. They need to come to an intermediate seminar for two days. They need to come to an advanced seminar, which is a week long. And then they need to do up to one month of interning with us at our gym. So by the time somebody gets a certification, they put in a lot of time and effort to do it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is we really treat this as a family. And one of the most important things to me is to have a personal relationship with every single person that comes to the seminar. And it means a lot of late nights and early mornings on email. It means a lot of of my time and, and a lot of sacrifice. But it does really have a family feel to it. And a lot of the instructors have become friends. A lot of people don't intern after the advance. They start their internships before. And and I use that term loosely because they just come visit and they hang out and they train and we get to know people. We put a lot of effort into the character of a person and really getting to know the, the person who's essentially going to fly our banner. Mm-hmm. And so some of the people were in the pipeline for two years before they got certified. You can really get to know somebody. So the 26 people we have up there right now, they're really just quality human beings. And that's the number one thing that that we look for. And so, so, so that what, certification process itself, like you have a bunch of internal constraints, like you can't have, you know, 200 interns at one point in time. Like you actually like you have some internal constraints that, you know, actually restrict an amount of people that can even come through it. If they you know, if you had a thousand people that wanted to come through it, there would be a, you know, a kind of a marination process, if you will for that person to kind of get to the to the level where you would actually certify them. Exactly. The bottom line is it works like a funnel. You know, people, everyone come to the part one seminar, part two seminar, but eventually we only have one part three seminar a year or advanced seminar or level three. And that's on purpose because it limits the amount of people that can get through the pipeline gotcha. because I need time to build relationships with these people. And when you look at the amount of emails and phone calls and monitoring social media and monitoring Facebook and building virtual relationships, but then also having these people back here and constructing meaningful one-on-one personal relationships, it means that quality can be controlled. But it also means we're not going to have a thousand instructors next year because we can't and we won't. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so, what do, what do what do the seminars look like? Are they are they sit down and you doing like instructor classes or sitting at desks? I, I don't think that's the case. But what what is that? What is you know those those first couple seminars look like? And what does that you know that that final week look like? <laughs> 
So, and how much can you tell me? <laughs> yeah, I can. I can actually tell you a lot. I mean, I'm a, I'm an open book. I have no secrets. Okay. Uh, in terms of the fundamentals seminar, it's two days. There are four workouts during those two days, but most of the time is spent in the classroom. And the reason being is, you know, Joel, you could come and train with me for a week and I could try to smash you and prove that somehow I'm more fit or, you know, my karate is better than your karate to, uh, <laughs> to to use a phrase and just smash you and send, send you home. That doesn't help you get better. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get more fit in a day or a week. We want to give people tools to improve themselves and tools for education. And so there's a, there's a huge bias on classroom work. In the second seminar, there are still four workouts, but there's even a bigger bias on classroom work. It becomes all about programming knowledge because that's what's going to help people be better. And the advanced seminar, there are a lot of workouts, but it is learn, 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 learn. Gotcha. Just education is key because if you're educated, you can help other people, you can train other people, you can spread our message, so to speak. During those, though, there are physical crucibles people go through. And when I say there's four workouts, they are not easy. And along the way of somebody's internship, we give them, you know, a lot of hard workouts, but these aren't meant once again to smash them. These are tests of character to see how much people are willing to give, how hard they're willing to work. If they're willing to lead by example, one of the things that I have always preached is you have to lead by example. You want to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk all the time. And I want to see what these people are made of. I want to see if they improve from level one to level two to level three. I want to see if they hold themselves to a high enough standard to be welcomed into our family. And 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 that's one of the things that initially drew me to Jim Jones. The I think I, I first ran across it when, you know, you have the celebrity trainers and you have like, you know, these flashy things, these high profile people that you work with. But one of my focuses on it at Impossible is is teaching people that you can do more than you think you can do. And when you say like a crucible, it's not just like a workout. It's not just like, oh, you're going to be really sore at the end. It's like you talk about, you know, going to a dark place during a workout and just like, <laughs> like figuring, you know, it's, it, you're, you're lifting weight, you're working out, but you're almost doing battle with your soul, you know, throughout the workout. And it's kind of a, a conduit for you to work out some of your inner demons or, you know, just, just to find out what you're actually made of. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the, the reasons, you know, the entire gym, the, the, the instructors and everything is, is interesting to me because of that angle of the workout. I think there's a, you know, benefit to being physically fit and, you know, being capable, but there's also the mental training aspect, which I think is, is really, really interesting. Well, there's a couple of things to that, Joel. The first thing is, I don't think you can get better without really pushing your limits. Mm -hmm. Just because you show up at the gym and you swipe your membership card and go through the turnstile doesn't mean you've done anything. A lot of people follow the same program and they never really get uncomfortable. How are you going to get better if you're not uncomfortable? And so one of the reasons I really push myself is to force myself to be better. You need to put yourself into a hole to see if you can crawl out of it. And that's the way you're going to improve in any aspect of life. But the other the other aspect of that is something you touched on is the psychological training. And at the end of the day, lifting weights is just picking shit up and putting it down. If you are into general fitness, you can get fit with a barbell, you can get fit with kettlebells, you can get fit with bodyweight stuff. I mean, give me an airdyne and a backyard and I'll be just fine, you know, but 
the mental training, the psychological training, training the muscle that's between your ears, that's the most important thing. And if you can teach somebody's mind to be strong, their body will follow suit. And so in a lot of the workouts that I do, I want to put myself in a dark place. I want to suffer a little bit. I want to push my limits and see what they are because the act of coming up against your limits and bursting through them, the act of facing your demons, so to speak, the act of doing some type of introspection, those skills are transferable to every other area of your life. I think that's something that's trainable. And I think that if you're going to be in the gym, train it because when it comes to real world stuff, it will translate. And I've seen countless people come through our doors that physical training has changed their life. They become more competent. They become better husbands. They become better wives. They've become better people. And the lessons they've learned during just a workout have really helped them in all these other areas of their lives. And that's what I think the true beauty of the gym is. I I completely agree. I um I have a I have a general fitness audience, and then I also have like uh, just a general audience. Um, and I, a lot of times I I talk about fitness specifically as a as a method to you know your physical training is a method to train your mind, and it's it's one of the best ways to do it because when you're physically exhausted and you physically think you can't do anymore, and then you kind of do this mental override and say, I'm going to do it anyways. Like there's a whole perspective shift that happens. And I've gotten pushback on that from people. And I've, you know, people said, oh, well, I don't need to do, you know, go work out or I don't need to, you know, go run a, a marathon to do that. Or I don't need to, you know, push myself physically in order to experience that. And I, I push back really hard on that saying, you know, that is, I think it's one of the simplest, easiest ways for you to kind of find out what you're made of, figure out, you know, where your actual limits are. And if you want to go past them or if you're willing to push past what you think you're capable of. And the cool part with physical training is you have this very visceral mental moment where you're like, I don't think I can do anymore. And then you do one more and you very obviously invalidated <laughs> you know, your previous beliefs. And so you, you, you just took yourself to a new spot. And that's, that's the beauty, like you said, of, of physical training is it allows you to do that in a, in a really physical, visceral way. Well, and that's the stuff that's really going to change you for the better. And that's what we really try to push here. And so you'll hear oftentimes with our philosophy, the mind is primary. We say it again and again and again. And it's for this re- these reasons we believe that. So what what sort of exercises do you do you put people through in order to get them into that quote unquote dark place? You know, a lot of times it's, I'd say, individually based. For programming to be effective, it needs to be individualized. What causes you some type of grief may not cause me any grief. And so your test, your your white whale, your elephant in the room might be the 2,000 meter row for time. It could be a max deadlift. Mine could be the mile and a half run for time. You know, yep. we, we want to put people in an uncomfortable position. And I think that's individual for everybody. And so a lot of the job being a trainer is finding what makes people tick, finding what scares them, finding what their limits are, and then building the tests around those. Have you seen any examples of people having these things that they they fear at first, and then as you train them through it, they actually start to like it, and then it becomes like 
one of their strengths at all? Or is it consistently they, <laughs> it always is hard, always is difficult. And every single time it comes up, it gets worse. Well, I should say this. Nothing's ever easy in here. Uh, and I, I never want to make it easy for somebody. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to challenge people and help them challenge themselves. That said, I think people learn to embrace going to that dark place or embrace testing their limits more. I don't think it ever becomes easier. They just learn to appreciate it more. When we look at the kind of tests we give people, 300 calories in 10 minutes on an AirFit, that's extremely difficult or an Aerodyne or some other type of fan bike. A 2,000 meter row in seven minutes is a test a lot of people get around here. The max deadlift could be a test. And people, you know, you'll see what happens is they fail the test, they fail the test, they fail the test, they pass it. And there's this feeling of complete accomplishment and they grow as people. They've, you know, this arbitrary number that we've, you know, we've given them, it becomes important to them and they work through it and they become successful. The things that that teaches these people is, is I, you know, I don't have the words to describe it and they break through that hurdle. But the next step is to set another standard Mm -hmm. because we always aim to get better and you keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And so eventually for, you know, for your 2000 meter, your standard may have been seven minutes, but now it might be 630. It might be 625. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing to force the person to not focus on a standard so much or a test, but just focus on being the best person they can be. So with that, a lot of times you, you, you mentioned, you know, the, you set a standard, they'll miss the standard, they'll fail, they'll screw up. They're not screw up, they just can't hit it because they're not strong enough or they're not, you know, they, they haven't broken through that mental hurdle and they'll fail two, three, four, ten times, whatever it is. It's interesting because there's a shift going on, I think. And I, I noticed this, I don't know if anyone else does or maybe this is just, you know, in my head, but there's a shift I feel like from a societal level that says if someone fails at something or if something's too hard, we should make that standard easier or all pain is bad pain. And like the the avoidance of of being uncomfortable by any means. And I've that's one of my pet peeves. Anytime I I hear it come up uh, either explicitly, which doesn't happen very much, but you'll hear it kind of implicitly in the in the types of thought patterns people will have, where they're just like, ah, it's just don't want it's not comfortable, you know, like and and it you know that's the reasoning behind something rather than you know whatever rationalization they're coming up with. How do you one do you get a lot of people who aren't fit for 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 the messaging, or do you guys kind of filter that out from the get go? With uh, I think you know Jim Jones is named after the uh, the cult leader, right? And so just like the name and the 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 ethos of of the gym scares that type of pe- person away. And then that's part one. And then the, the second part of that would be, how do you balance knowing your limits so you don't actually hurt yourself with knowing real limits and knowing kind of like your artificial mental limits? If I understand the question, part one is pretty easy to answer. I would like to think that we inspire a lot of people And it's always something that's very humbling for me. I come from a very small town of 1,800 people. And it's something incredible to me that, you know, I get emails of people saying they're inspired by things I write or things I do. And every day it blows me away. But when when that kind of stuff happens, I realize that there are some people that follow on Instagram, follow on Twitter that do get some type of inspiration in the things we do. And if one person out there can get a little bit better from the things we write, I think at the end of the day, we've done something meaningful. When it comes to though the message being suitable for everybody, it's not suitable for everybody. Some people just don't want it bad enough. 
And I don't fault them for that. I can respect the person that says, hey, I'm not that interested in being fit. I, it's not important to me. I can respect that person. They've made an active choice to do what they want to do. The person I don't respect is the person that says, I don't have enough time. I don't have equipment. And you know it's just a constant litany of excuses mm-hmm. that, that people make. We demand full commitment, but somebody has to be committed on the inside. I can't say anything that's going to make you want to better yourself. Really, if you want it bad enough, you'll make it happen. And that comes from somewhere inside yourself. And so we just keep putting our message out there. And the people that want to follow and the people that find us, it, that is wonderful. And and I couldn't be more proud of the of the work we do or, or people that do find us and follow us. And for the other people, if they can take one thing inspirational from us, that's that's great. Because of the internet, we can broadcast that message. We can also keep our gym itself pure. The actual physical location of the gym, we only have 30 people that train in there. Gotcha. Most of them do not pay. They are invited people to keep that pure and, and keep that sanctuary to the highest quality imaginable. The people that come through our doors are people that are willing to work and give everything. And so we end up protected a lot from from the type of people that, that aren't down with our message, you know. And, and the reality is in this world, we've been just led to believe that things are going to be easy. Just watch late night infomercials. And I don't know how much of these you've watched, but... <laughs> It's like I I see these exercise products on TV and it makes me sick that this stuff is sold, but it's because people are looking for the easy way out. That's not who we are. And if you want to take the easy way out, Jim Jones probably isn't the place for you. So that's that's the first part of the question. And what was the second thing you asked? Well, the the second piece was more about like, how do you deal with like, do you get a lot of outside criticism? I I would imagine it it would happen if you just had like a regular open invite gym. But do you deal with any criticism from people who say, yeah, there, there's a certain segment of people that get what you do, and there's a certain segment of people that aren't committed or, or won't, you know, won't want it bad enough or just decide it's not for them. There's another segment of, of people that will say it's not for them, so no one should do it. And you're like, it's a, it's a dangerous philosophy, or it's like a, you know, you should, you should have a bigger focus on safety, or you should, you know, it, it's almost like they're outside, you know, outside the family, and they're criticizing it, you know criticizing the training methodologies when it's not meant for them in the first place. Do you deal with that a lot? Do you get a lot of pushback from, you know, kind of outsiders, if you will, that don't really get it? Or do they tend to just, you know, kind of self-select them out of it? No, I always say haters are going to hate. We get our share of haters. You know, we get our share of criticism, but that's just the world we live in. If people don't understand something or it calls into question their self-esteem, makes them feel insecure. If, you know, sometimes I think they're just bored at 11 o'clock at night and decide to hop (laughs) on Instagram and decide to say mean shit. That's just the world we live in. People always want to put others down. And I try not to judge other people. If you don't want to train, don't train. If you don't want to be fit, don't be fit. You don't want to eat a certain food. You know, part of my language, but don't fucking eat it. Like, I'm not going to go on Instagram and bash you and make fun of you and make nasty comments and, you know, things like that. There are people that do criticize. And the only thing I say to that is it's it's not for you. I respect your opinion and have a nice day. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to have to convince you to do some hard work, Joel. Yep. If you are interested in what we do, I will give you the shirt off my back and I will do anything I can to help you. But if you're not interested, that's fine. I, I, I'm 
like I said, I'm okay with that. Go do your own thing and just leave us alone to do what we do. Yep. You know, and, and I don't judge people for that. I just, I just wish people would, you know, follow the rule. Don't say anything on the internet that you wouldn't say to my face. Yep. You know, that would, that would make me really happy. But there's always people that will criticize something they don't understand or something they're not willing to do. Yep. You know, and, and you see it with not even the gym, but with sports people like just, you know, I don't know what your favorite sport is or what you follow, but God forbid LeBron James has a bad game. Like the people <laughs> that just need to like say stuff about that man and they don't understand how good he is at what he does. Yeah. You know, some of the professional golfers on tour, some of the professional hockey players, like people just feel the need to criticize. And, and I don't understand why, but it doesn't affect who we are, what we do. And it's certainly not going to change our direction. We're not here to cater to everybody. I knew the invite only aspect of of the gym. I didn't realize it was one so small or two. The actual facility is what I'm talking about. The the facility, like the, the membership was so small small or that most of the members don't pay. Why did that business model come up? Because it seems like most of the gym from a business standpoint is is handled from a a, a seminar and from a you know kind of like the online training component of that and as that that's insulated you from 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 dealing with a more general public who would, might just like wander in your facility if it was just open well it does insulate us that's for sure because most of our revenue is from the website and from seminar program but when it comes to the gym the gym needs to be pure if you have to have people in to keep the lights on and pay your bills you're going to have to sacrifice quality. And so for me, I'd rather train five people who work really hard and will give it everything, who are like-minded individuals who inspire me and force me to be better than train 100 people who don't care to be there. Yep. And and so we make people earn their way in. And the whole thing about, you know, sponsoring people and, you know, people being invited is that when when people come through the doors, they just haven't bought their way in. They haven't, you know, money doesn't just earn you a place with us. You can throw as much money as you want at us and it's not going to get you an invite. Mm-hmm. You get an invite by writing a good email, by demonstrating commitment, by wanting to work hard, by wanting to better yourself. And we do charge a fee for people that come from out of town and some of the people that train at our gym because we have to. You know, I I, I have people to support. I have lights to keep on, but that's certainly not a deciding factor in terms of who comes in the gym. And there's there's a, a difference, I think, too, from a filtering process, from an insulation process of like, you know, it's one thing if you have haters on the outside throwing, you know, annoying comments at you on Instagram, you can block them. Getting someone you know, maybe not even on purpose, but like if you didn't have such a stringent filtering process or uh, insulation process, getting someone actually in the physical location, getting someone who doesn't buy into what's happening actually at the physical location, that's got to be like a poison. Has that ever happened or have you guys done a really good job so far of, of keeping those people far, far away? You know, we're pretty good job at, at keeping the bad apples out. Every so often we get one in, people can trick you. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that we ever have to ask somebody to leave. Usually they self-select out because they realize they're in the wrong place. Yep. You know, Joel, if you come into the gym and you're a lazy person and you don't want to work hard and you don't want to have, you have a negative attitude, that's clear to everybody. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to be is that person of negativity in a room of 10 really hardworking people. Cause that spotlight is on you hotter and brighter than you can imagine. And most people leave on their own. You know, I mean, really like you don't want to be somewhere where, you know, you don't belong. Yeah. 
you know, and and I try to really help everybody. I give people chances. I really try to understand them. But there does come a point where we have had to ask some people to leave and or for some people, it's not the place for them. So, from a from a physical training standpoint, I want to I want to jump into this a little bit and then get into some of the the methodologies and some of the, the acronyms that you have for for various things. But like from a from a training program, you mentioned you know specifying the training regimen to to the athlete. Do you guys have a specific training focus at the gym? You mentioned you know you use a variety of of different tools: barbells, dumbbells, aerodynamic machines, all all sorts of things. Do you have a specific like kind of training philosophy or focus or do you just kind of whatever tools at hand we make torture devices out of them and you know we we, we build up strength basically you know that. that's such a broad question joel it really depends on the individual like i said before all training needs to be individualized so if your goal is to run seven ultra marathons then training needs to look a certain way if your goal is to be the strongest lifter in the world well training's going to look a completely different way and so everyone that comes to the gym everything's individualized and everything's built to suit that person's needs essentially and so the things in the gym the methodologies and the tools we've got kettlebells we've got barbells we've got bodyweight stuff we've got rowers skiers airfits uh we've got different workout schemes rep schemes set structures but everything is individualized built for a person's goal so you work individually with the the 30 athletes that are are in the gym uh for the most part some people train in groups because i find people do better in groups Mm -hmm. there's something about the group dynamic that people really learn to support each other especially when it's a good group but people are on individualized programs and there are some things you can you can share and so the person I mentioned, the person that does want to run seven ultra marathons or 10 ultra marathons or wants to run a 315 in Boston, our entire program may not look the same, but there are some workouts we can share together, you know, and someone's not in the gym six days a week. Sometimes they're only in the gym three days a week and they're given homework to do on their own. And so sometimes the gym stuff, you can combine people into groups, but overall, they're all on an individual path. Can you tell me what uh, I, I know what it is, but can you, can you tell the, the listeners what an SM? MF is an SMMF. You're just trying to get me to use bad language. But, uh, <laughs> no, I just I, I love the I love the concept of it in general, and I know there's different methodologies at the gym, but I love the idea of this one as a specific like you can you know if you just want to like you know again get back to that dark place or or, or whatever you want to call it as far as as building in a diy workout yeah, no, or whatever i'm i'm more than happy to as long as you know that my six-year-old son has started listening to these type of things oh no and and every time i say bad words i get put in timeout so <laughs> this is going to probably cost me a timeout which is i'm willing to you know incur that penalty from him but it's called a single movement mind fuck and what that is is something that's meant to challenge you physically but as the time title says the mind is in it it's something that's meant to challenge you mentally and it's a single movement over and over and over and over again where like i said the physical stress may be high but the psychological stress will cause you the most harm from that workout can you give me like three of your either favorite ones or your you know or your least favorite ones of those and and what do those look like well my Three favorites. One is just a thousand lunges in place. (laughs) 
You just stand in place and lunge, lunge, lunge. Rest is needed. This is easy if you do it around a track or do it from point A to point B because you feel motivated by having somewhere to go. If you do this in place, staring at a wall, it is hell. It's hell (laughs) keeping track of the numbers. But, you know, the first hundred are easy. The last hundred are easy. That middle 800, you want to quit so bad it's not even funny. But that's the effect we're looking for. There was once in 2009 to celebrate the new year, I did 2009 lunges in a laundry room. Oh, God. And I mean, believe me, I wanted to quit a hundred times during that workout and I didn't and it made me better. Another one I love is a hundred single lifts at 50% of your one rep max, treating each one as a single. Oh, wow. So if your deadlift one rep max is 400 pounds, you put 200 on the bar, you lift it, you put it down, you walk across the room, touch the wall and come back and lift it again. Walk across the room, come back, lift it again. You do that 10 sets of 10, it's not that hard. You do sets of five, it's not that hard. Having to do a hundred single reps, you start to get inside your head a little bit. You got to lose count after a while. You have to. Yeah, you got to have some type, of, some type of like thing. And my other favorite one is to carry two kettlebells for a mile. They've got to be heavy enough that this isn't not easy. Yeah. So I'd recommend 70s to people. 32 K's in each hand, carry those a mile. That's another one that gets bad. If you really want to take it to a next level, carry it it for a mile inside, walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's even worse. See, the the thing I love about these, I, and I, I don't know where I, I heard you talking about this or not, but the thing I love about it is like, I'm, I'm, you're almost waiting for like this buildup. You're like, oh, this, you're going to do this and then you're going to do this and then you're going to do this. And it's like, no, stand there, do a thousand lunges. Like just, just standing there. There's nothing, nothing complicated about it. There's no equipment. Like, I mean, there's some equipment sometimes, but like, I love, I love the concept of just like, there's so much BS that people tell themselves that I tell myself that, you know, that other people want you to believe about what you need to do in order. And it's just like, do this one thing a ton of times more than, you know, any reasonable human should. And the purpose isn't even about, you know, part of its strength, but part of it's just like, find out who you are, go to that dark spot in your head and, you know, do your own demon battling if you have to. And just like walk a mile with kettlebells. That's the workout yeah. for today. Have fun. Like, I, I, I just love the, the simplicity, but the like the absolute ridiculousness of of how, you know, that that you know, the middle half mile of that has just got to be hell. You know, the first hundred and the last hundred are easy. You know, the middle stuff is where you like question your sanity and, you know, everything that you're made of. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's what I want. I want that psychological test. You're a runner, correct? Uh, I am not a good runner. I like ultra marathons because they push my limits. And I I like the fact that at 26.2 is when most people quit and that's when races start. So I'm like six foot two and like 190 pounds. So I'm not like a typical runner, but I like ultra marathons for their purpose from a, it's one of the ways that I help like exercise my demons, you know, through, through running. But that's why I also gravitated towards the, you know, the SMF, SMF, wow, I can't even say it, single movement, my fuck, um, because it's it's kind of another way to get to that same spot without having to do all the running. Because I'm not, I don't, I don't necessarily. I, I talked to David Goggins, who's an ultra marathoner, and I feel he he stated in a way that I f- I feel really I, I resonated with me. He's like, I I hate running, but I love getting to that point in your head where you you think you can't do anymore, and then you you figure out somehow to 
to keep going. And so that's what I get out of running. I'm not necessarily uh, a runner. I, I still don't consider myself a runner. I probably should at this point, but here's the deal with that. What's the longest race you've run? hundred miles? No, 56. Okay. So here's the deal with a 50 mile marathon. It's not the first 10 that's hard. It's not the last five that's hard. It's that middle part. Yep. That's where people quit. That's where the doubts are. And that's where people really find themselves. And they go through something I call the moment where it's that part of the workout where you really think about quitting, where you want to throw in the towel, where the voices start, stop, slow down. Don't do this anymore. You can make it up at the end. And that moment, you either fall victim to those voices and you quit or you slow down. Or you fight them and you win negotiation and you become something better and something more. And every time you win one of those negotiations or you survive one of those moments, you improve yourself in all levels, physically and psychologically. And so that's what the single movement mindfuck is meant to elicit. It's putting you in that moment so you can have that talk with yourself. You can have that experience and you can become better. And, you know, and the, and the and the more you can include the mind in this, the better it's going to work. I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman we're friends with named Cole who doesn't really run a hundred miles per se, like in a race. Mm-hmm. He goes to a track for 24 hours and sees how many times he can make it around the track. <laughs> so I believe the last time he did this, he did 123 miles in 24 hours around a 400 meter track. Can you imagine the psychological damage that would cause (laughs) or the, like the kind of moments you would go through trying to run around a track 400 times Mm -hmm. as opposed from point A to point B. Yeah. Not that, not that running 50 or hundred is ever easy, but you know, if you're running fifties, go to a track for 12 hours and see how many times you can make it around. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a completely different psychological experience for people. Because no matter how far you run, you're still back in the same place. (laughs) Well, exactly. Right. Like, and you got to fight around, like, why am I doing this? I should quit. That's, oh, man, that's, but that, that's the moment there, there's, there's this concept that like that type of stuff is, 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 is supposed to be avoided. And I feel like I've, you know, those, those times where you're literally like thinking, you know, for me in the middle of a race, like, okay, well, if I quit now, I could probably catch like a shuttle, you know, to the end of the line or something like that. It's like you're negotiating with yourself. Those times where you're actually like, you're, you're contemplating quitting, you're figuring out like the logistics and then you decide, you know, screw it, I'm going to finish this anyways. Like to me, those have been the most impactful moments And, and not even necessarily from a becoming a better runner standpoint, but becoming, you know, like you said, you know, crossing that mentality over into other parts of life. You know, my story, how I started was I was living in my parents' basement. I couldn't get a job at Starbucks. I graduated from school and was unemployed. And, you know, I had this one thing that I wanted to do and I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to run a triathlon and it was so mentally weak at the time that I thought like an indoor triathlon was going to be like really, really, really hard and terrifying and scary. And I went and did it and I had this moment at the end of it where I realized like, okay, you just did that. And you spent so much time telling yourself that was impossible and you literally just did it. So if you're spending all this time telling yourself something's impossible and you just did it, what other things are out there that you're telling yourself are impossible that you just need to go do battle with whatever demons you need to do battle with and and get past it and you know that was how it started like five six years ago and you know since then you know i i consistently find the most growth i have personally like as a human happens you know in the gym on trail runs uh you know out where i'm pushing my body past what i think it can do and then continuing to go farther that's 
you know, that I think that's the entire reason why, you know, the Jim Jones philosophy that you guys talk about is so compelling to me and why I wanted to get you on the podcast. Because like, like you said, there's one thing of, you know, pushing your limits and, and becoming physically stronger. But there's the other aspect of, you know, how do you how do you how do you bring like the mental strength into it? And, you know, instead of just doing a thousand lunges around a track, you do a thousand lunges in place. And uh, I like that aspect. I'm going to have to start incorporating that into more workouts. Well, and what you said about the triathlon, those are the moments that really make you better. And that's that's what I think training, that's what all life should be about. You should want to be better in every aspect of your life and force yourself to be better. Yeah. And some of that involves being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, doing doing the right thing isn't always the easiest thing to do. In fact, usually doing the right thing is the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what I want to do. And I want to try to better myself in all areas of my life. And the people I train, I want them to do the same. I want them to be better physically, mentally, better people. You know, everything they can do to improve, that should be the goal of human life, to constantly strive towards improvement. No, I, I totally agree. Can you, uh, can you tell me about the, the book of Bobby Maximus? I think it's a fictional book, but I want to know, well, tell the listeners what it is and then... I want to know if that's actually going to come out ever because that would be well, awesome. First of all, it may not actually be. It may not actually be fictional. There might actually be a real book. <laughs> I have, but it's it's one of these things that started that a lot of times in teaching people and talking to people. There will be times I will say something that resonates with people and, you know, they get back to me and they say, hey, when you said this, it really changed my perspective on things or I needed to hear this today. And I think sometimes hiding behind a computer screen, we don't understand the people that we touch or the people that we inspire. And I always take note when somebody writes like, hey, I needed this today or you don't know how much this meant or this, you know, made me be a better father or this made me be a better husband. And, and like I said, for me, it's completely humbling. Like, I, I can't believe that a kid from a small town of 1800 people, you know, way up north in Canada could have an effect on people. But it's something that when things like that happen, I write it down and I keep it in a special place. And now I have this book of these of these phrases, paragraphs, things that other people have found useful. Are you planning on officially collating that and putting it together and, and, and releasing it at any time? Or you just kind of keep it in your in your in your back room and pull it out when different people need something? You know, I'm not sure about releasing it. I, I, I you know, once again, from a humble perspective, I don't know who would buy it. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll get on the it, pre-order list. There we go. Nice. But it but it certainly does exist. And I have a collection of of things. And a lot of times it's not something I would actually pull out because I think talking to people is the most important thing you can do one-on-one and everyone's got different issues and everyone, you know, conversations go different places. Mm-hmm. And I, I really value that one-on-one personal interaction. At some point, that may be something I consider. I know uh, a couple book agents if you need help with that. So let me know. For for those of you listening, if you if you follow Bobby on Instagram, he posts a bunch of these. I don't know every other day or so, so you can get a, a little bit of insight if if you can't see him in person at the gym. A couple things as as we wrap up the podcast, I'd love to know one your favorite workout all time. You got you got an hour. Do a favorite workout. What, what's your favorite? You know, depending when you ask me this question, the answer will change. <laughs> My favorite workout is bench press, pull up, deadlift back squat and push up at a weight of 225 pounds 10 reps of each nine eight seven six five four three two one okay so you do 
10 bench presses, 10 pull-ups, 10 deadlifts, 10 back squats, 10 push-ups, 9999988888 all the way to 1. That would be my favorite weighted workout and it's something you can get done in 25 minutes okay. if you're using 225. If you're not strong enough to use 225, try 135 or 185. Okay. And one of the reasons I love it is cuz it's it's a true whole body workout. You know, you do you do 55 deadlifts, 55 pull-ups, 55 push-ups, 55 back squats, 55 bench presses. You're you're worked, believe yep. me, especially when you go through that circuit fairly fast. My other all-time favorite from the no gear world is something called prison burpees. Ah, uh, I know this one. Prison burpees is a 20 to 1 burpee ladder. You could do it anywhere and you will get what's coming to you. <laughs> You want to explain the the pacing aspect? Because I think that's the other, that's the mental piece of that workout, right? Well, you pretend you're in a prison cell, which is about five meters wide. You could do this in your bedroom. You could do it in your living room. You do 20 burpees, essentially. You walk across the room and you do 19. You walk across the room and you do 18. So it's essentially 210 burpees for time with a little bit of a stroll in between each <laughs> set. And and, and, and and is there an expectation on the time for that or not? Uh, not really. Do the best you can. But I will tell you this. When you can do your 20 to 1 burpees unbroken, you have arrived. <laughs> like you don't you don't need to do prison burpees anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're set. And then favorite meal post-workout. I already know this one, but well, it would be a hamburger, of course. Yeah, but any any specific setup with the hamburger? As long as it's delicious, there you go. You know, when it comes down to it, I love hamburgers. I love steak. I love a good shake from anywhere, but really, the hamburger is like what I would reach for first, and it just has to be really good. Okay. You know, a couple of my favorite places, if you're ever in Salt Lake City, Copper Kitchen has got one of the best ones here. From Scratch has got one of the best ones here. Uh, I got to tell you, in New York, I love the Shake Shack more yep. than anybody. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever had a chance to go to a Bobby's Burger Palace, that's another place. It's Bobby Flay's House of Burgers. It's unreal. Just quality. Awesome. That has been one of my, I, I, I just drove back from Denver to San Diego and I drove through Moab and I got like, I got a beef patty plus a bison patty plus like duck bacon, actual bacon. I got like entire Noah's Ark on my burger and I was, I was like, Utah knows how to do this. Awesome, Bobby. Well, thanks for jumping on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed having you here. One, any last words for our listeners? No, you know, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on. I'm honored. Once again, it's always like, you know, when I got your email, I'm humbled and honored that you thought enough about me to kind of have me talk for an hour. So, you know, first of all, thank you for that. And to people that listen, you know, I would just I would just urge everybody to work as hard as they can in every aspect of life. I always say with working out that it's the one place that everyone has in their life where they will improve. You might not be world class at something. You might not win a medal. You might not make money off it. But if you work hard, you will get better. And I really think the gym is the only place in our lives that we have that. You can work as hard as you can and the company can shut down. You can be the best husband you can be or the best wife you can be, and your marriage might not work out. But in the gym, if you show up, if you ask some questions, if you don't quit, if you work hard, if you do everything that you're supposed to do, you will improve. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I would want a lot of people to embrace that. 
Uh, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, where can people find more about you after uh, this interview? Because I'm sure everybody's going to be wanting to, to find more about the, the book of Bobby Maximus and, and everything that you're doing at Jim Jones. Yeah. Instagram and Twitter are at Bobby Maximus, B-O-B-B-Y-M-A-X-I-M-U-S. And they could also find me at www.jimjones.com, which I put a lot of content on as well. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thanks for jumping on this call. It's been fantastic. I love it. I'm going to have to get out to, to one of those seminars here pretty soon. And yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on. And let's talk again soon. No problem. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening. If you guys have a second, head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a review. It helps us a lot in reaching more people and spreading the word about what Impossible is doing and building resilience in your own life and in the lives around you. So if you can head over to iTunes and Stitcher, leave a review. That'd be great. I love you forever. And I'll see you next week.